Chapter 15 of A Casket of Cameos. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Casket of Cameos by Frank W. Borrow. Rosalie Joyce's Text. 1. As the lumbering old caravan crawled along the country road that lovely Sunday evening, the bells of the village church filled the balmy air with their sweetest music. Can't you hear the bells nicely now, Mammy? said Rosalie. Yes, said the poor woman. They sound just like the bells of our little church at home. I could almost cry when I hear them. On a broad open space close to the church, the caravan came to a halt. The bells ceased, and the sound of singing proceeded from the open doors. The service had begun. Mammy, dear, said Rosalie, may I go and peep in at the church? Permission being granted, she hurried away. She peeped in and she crept in. She had never been at a church service before. Where have you been all this time, Rosalie? asked the anxious woman when at last the child returned. Rosalie told of all she had heard and seen. And he kept on saying your text, Mammy, she said. The text on your picture there. The text on your picture there. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The text on the picture. Yes, there it was. One wet Sunday afternoon, sometime previously, a little old man with a rosy, good-tempered face had waded through a sea of mud, caravan to caravan, distributing pictures among the traveling people of the shows. To Rosalie and her mother he gave a picture of the good shepherd carrying home his lost sheep. He helped them to hang it up on the wooden wall of their wandering home. There, ma'am, he said as he took his leave, you can look at that and think that the good shepherd is seeking you. He wants to find you and take you up in his arms and carry you home, and he won't mind the wounds it costs him if you only let him do it. Rosalie often wondered what it all meant. She read to herself the words under the picture again and again, and now, on her very first visit to a church, the minister had taken them for his text, The Son of Man has come. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 2. It may be fancy, but as I recall this incident from a peep behind the scenes, it seems to me that Rosalie's text stands inseparably associated with village greens. It was on a village green that the text was brought to the caravan. It was beside a village green that Rosalie heard the minister explain it. I once, as a little boy, heard Mr. Moody preaching on a village green, and his text that afternoon was Rosalie's text. Moreover, Mrs. Walton's book reminds me of George Eliot's. It was on a village green that Dinah Morris in Adam Bede preached her famous sermon, and her text, too, was Rosalie's text. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost, cried Dinah, lost. And there was a great change in her voice and manner. She made a long pause, and the pause seemed to be filled by agitating thoughts that showed themselves in her features. At last it seemed as if, in her yearning desire to reclaim the lost sheep, she could not be satisfied by addressing her hearers as a body. She appealed first to one and then to another, beseeching them with tears to turn to God while there was yet time, painting to them the desolation of their souls, lost in sin, feeding on the husks of this miserable world far away from God their Father, and then the love of the Savior who was waiting and watching for them. Lost, said the picture in the caravan. Lost, said the minister in the church. Lost, cried Mr. Moody that Sunday afternoon. Lost, exclaimed Dinah Morris on the hay slope green. The Son of Man has come to seek 
and to save that which was lost. 3. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It is a string of monosyllables. The words are so simple that they awaken the soul of poor little Rosalie, catch the attention of the villagers lounging on the green, and enshrine themselves in the hearts of the little children as they cluster round their mother's knee. And yet it is not so much with the simplicity of the passage as with its sublimity that I am impressed just now. We speak of the simple gospel as though it had no heights unscalable, no depths unfathomable, no lengths and breadths which human minds cannot discover and explore. We speak of the simplicity of such words as Jesus died for me, and we forget that eternal mysteries lie hid in every syllable of such a phrase, which angels cannot hymn nor archangels explain. Jesus came and died for me. Simple words and yet expressing depths of holy mystery, depths of wondrous love and blessing. When the saintly John Fletcher of Maylie lay dying of a malady which he had contracted by unremitting attendance upon his fever-stricken people, he called upon his wife and maidservant to sing and shout of the vastness and splendor of the love of God. God is love, he cried. Sing of it, shout of it, both of you. His wife quoted to him one of John Wesley's noblest translations. She knew how he loved the lines. Mercy's full power I soon shall prove, loved with an everlasting love. When in the course of that bedside recital she repeated the words, while Jesus' blood through earth and skies, mercy, free, boundless mercy cries. He caught at that thought that was most upon his heart, and a little later, raising his hand and exclaiming, boundless, 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 died. It is just that element of boundlessness that arrests me as I gaze with Rosalie upon the picture in the caravan and listen with her to the sermon in the village church. 4. For who can stand before Rosalie's picture and contemplate Rosalie's text without being profoundly impressed by the boundlessness of the Savior's personality? The Son of Man, the title is full of suggestiveness. It is grand, dignified, sublime. He was a son of a man, but he was more. He was the son of a man, but he was more. He was a son of man, but he was more. He was the son of man. But what did it mean? He stood, as Carlyle would say, in the center of immensities, in the conflux of eternities, and looking backwards, he saw what we rightly call the fall of man, and he remembered the words of promise and of hope that he himself had spoken amid the sorrows of a sin-stricken Eden. Man as man had fallen, and to man he had uttered that great word that the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. And ever since man had been looking with grief upon the long procession of its sons, but with eager expectancy for its son, that sinless son of a sinful race who was to bring deliverance, redemption, and triumph over the coils of the serpent. And at last a voice is heard saying, The Son of Man is come, and the world only failed to rejoice because it failed to see in that mystic title the greatness and the glory of its high significance. Christ was the son of the race, and the race may well rejoice over her son with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Christ was the son of no empire, nation, kindred, or tribe. The art galleries of the nations prove with striking vividness that each people has claimed to miss its own, and they have claimed him rightly. The wide world was his mother country, heaven itself his fatherland, and the race does well to hold its single son in reverence and in love. Some called him the son of Abraham, and it was true, but he was more. Some called him the son of David, and it was true, but he was more. Some called him the son of Mary, and it was true, but he was more. Those who called him the son of Abraham 
imposed upon him a racial limitation. Those who called him the son of David imposed upon him a kingly limitation. Those who called him the son of Mary imposed upon him a domestic limitation. He shook himself free from them all and cried, The Son of Man is come. Here in his boundlessness, like his love, he passeth knowledge, and like the peace of God, he passeth all understanding. Can you understand Jesus Christ? Someone asked of Daniel Webster one day when the great statesman was surrounded by a group of literary acquaintances. No, he replied, I would be ashamed to acknowledge him as my savior if I could understand him. I need a superhuman savior, one so great and glorious that I cannot comprehend him. 5. And who can stand before Rosalie's picture and contemplate Rosalie's text without being amazed at the boundlessness of the Savior's constituency? That which is lost seemed an awful task even to his disciples as he said it, but let the fancy contrast his vision with theirs. They saw a little world lapped from end to end by the blue waters of the Mediterranean, but he saw hosts of men, tier above tier, climb beyond climb, nations and empires and continents, all unsuspected and un but he saw hosts of men, tier above tier, climb beyond climb, nations and empires and continents, all unsuspected and unknown, generation after generation, century beyond century, age after age. That which is lost, his constituency was subject to no bounds or limitations. He knew no masses and no classes, no old and no young, no high and no low, no rich and no poor. Wherever in the wide, wide world that which is lost existed son of man came to seek and to save it he came to save the lost monarch with his glittering diadem and ermine robes lost in his fatal pride and independence he came to save the lost ne'er-do-well tramping aimlessly hopelessly grimly doggedly through tussock and scrub over our silent inland hills lost in carelessness and despair he came to save the lost son in his midnight carousals and debauchery he came to save the lost daughter, shuddering in her dreadful humiliation and shame. He came to save the lost loiterer, lounging at the corners of our city streets, the lost sailor on the wild high seas, the lost scholar dazed amid the splendid problems of his theories and philosophies, the lost Pharisee, who, faultily faultless and icily regular, is too far lost to know that he is lost. And he came to save the lost ordinary man, lost you, lost me. He came to save the lost. They may be lost, sadly and strikingly, like the younger and favorite of two sons. A lost it constitutes a great and aching void which nothing else can fill. They may be lost less noticeably, less painfully, like one piece of silver out of ten. Or they may be lost like one sheep out of a hundred, which none but one would ever miss. No matter who, no matter how, no matter when, no matter where, that which is lost is his special care and charge. It is his boundless constituency. I really think that the best exposition of Rosalie's text is Rosalie's own. Rosalie was indulging one day in a confidential chat with a boy named Jinx from another caravan. The conversation naturally turned to the picture. You see, Jinx, said the wise little Rosalie, there are only three kinds of sheep. The ninety and nine who never went astray, the sheep that the shepherd has found and is bringing back on his shoulders, and the sheep that are lost. Is that all the kinds? asked poor Jinx. Yes. Why? Well, replied Jinx, you see, I can't be one of the ninety and nine because I've done lots of bad things in my life. I've got into tempers and I've sworn and I've done heaps of wicked things. So that's out of the question. 
and I can't be a found sheep because I don't love the good shepherd. I never think about him at all, so I must be a lost sheep. That's a dreadful thing to be, isn't it? Yes, very bad, said Rosalie sympathetically, and then with a sudden flash of illumination. But if you're a lost sheep, you're the very sheep that Jesus came to save. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I do not know what the minister said about the text that night in the village church, but I am sure that he said nothing better than that. 6. And who can stand before Rosalie's picture and contemplate Rosalie's text without being lost in admiration at the boundlessness of the Savior's program? To seek and to save. The accent of certainty that rings through the words is as melodious as the bells that Rosalie heard that Sunday evening. He came not to seek to save, but to seek and to save. He came not to attempt, but to do, not to try, but to triumph. That was always the occupation of Jesus, always seeking the lost. You will find the world's heroes where the banquets are the gayest, where the flowers are the fairest, where the plaudits ring the loudest, where the songs rise the sweetness, where music swells the most voluptuously. You will find Jesus by the well with a guilty woman. You will find him at the gates of name with a widow doubly crushed. You will find him at the tomb with two weeping sisters. You will find him alone with a maiden wrapped in the icy slumber of death. You will find him where passion sweeps the fiercest, where the anguish is the keenest, where the heartbreak is the saddest, where the loss is the heaviest, where the tears are the bitterest. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He is always seeking. That is what Francis Thompson, with such rare insight and such real felicity, has sought to convey to us in his hound of heaven. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter up fisted hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasm fears. From these strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they best, and a voice beat more instantly than the feet. Lo, all things fly thee as thou fliest me. As long as we evade him, all real happiness evades us. For seeking, he comes to save, and here he stands absolutely alone, solitary, unique. Herein his ministry ineffably supersedes and transcends all the ministries of men, supposing all others who are seeking to save humanity with well-contrived schemes of social salvation ever reach their goal. Supposing philanthropy, altruism, and socialism ever banish from the earth the hideous forms of squalor, poverty, want, and even drink and vice. Supposing at last every home is prettily and comfortably housed, environed by a smiling world, what then? If the hearts within those fair homes are still Christless, still unregenerate, you have only driven their misery further in. You have healed the skin over the wound whilst the flesh is yet unclean. You have painted and varnished rotten wood. For such a hollow parody on salvation, the world will not long thank you. But in the first hungry pangs of its disappointment and remorse will turn again and rend you. Give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let all nations now rejoice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Shout salvation, full and free, to every stranded ocean laves. This our song of victory. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. 7. Mammy, dear, said Rosalie one day, shall we tell him? Tell him what, my dear? Just tell him that you and me want seeking and finding. I don't know, Rosalie. You can try. Please, good shepherd, prayed Rosalie, come and seek me and Mammy, and find us very quick. 
and carry us very safe like the lamb in the picture i do not know what petitions the minister offered in the village church that sunday night but i am sure that he offered no prayer more acceptable to heaven than that End of chapter 15